I was just enjoying my vacation last week, and just like you, I have seen the news. It so happened, uh, my place of stay was right in front of Russian embassy, and the streets where I am, I was staying, was named after the cities in Russia. So. I've seen many people gathering in front of that embassy, chanting, shouting. And um, that's what I had in mind last week. And I had to talk about this at least one Sunday. This is unlike anything that we have seen in a few years. We went through a lot as a church and as a nation. All over the world, people have been suffering, really, from the virus, from the civil unrest in our own country, all that we have seen. Every time I see those things and the people that do this kind of uh, things, my always impression is that is just irrational. That's what I will say. That, that doesn't make sense. The war is the highest form of irrationality. I mean, how do you make sense out of that? When a group of men come, they come to you, your homeland, and start killing everyone. You cannot reason with that. You cannot make sense out of that. So really, past week and this week, I am sure many of you following the news, we feel angry, we feel powerless, we are shocked. And really, we really don't know how to process that. There is right and wrong in the world. There should be. Something should be so intuitive that we brand that as right, we brand that as wrong. But depending on the self-interest, you see over and over again, people twist that truth into lies to promote their self-interest. Why do problems persist? Probably the very first day when uh, the invasion happened, everybody on the news was saying the same thing, really. A war in the 21st century? That was the shock, the bewilderment that everybody was talking about. A war right now? Hidden in that statement basically is that we have progressed as a society so much. How could there be a war at this point in time? Wars that we have heard and seen in the news and read about in the books, that happened when people were not as smart as we are. 
People didn't know. It was times of old, medieval times and world wars. But 21st century, I mean, how could there be another war? Not any a skirmish, but by the most powerful, one of the most powerful nations on earth. How could there be a war 2022? Right. At this point, at that time, Christianity makes really the greatest contribution to that question or conundrum. Depending on the people, Christianity is a religion. Not the fastest growing religion, but nonetheless it is a religion uh, when people look at us. But when you look at the world and all that is happening in the world, only this religion, Christianity, makes the eye-opening contribution. And we know that. What is the problem? What is the problem that you have seen in the news past three years, four years, and now you see another one? What is the problem? Problem really is sin in men. It is not really an ethnic thing, racial thing, socioeconomic thing, but really is a sin in men. We as a church, the Church of Jesus Christ, has been saying that for 2,000 years, even longer. Smartest people on the TV news, why is that? Why is this happening? But don't we know, don't we know as Christians that really the problem is sin? And because of that sin, people suffer. And I was reminded of Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 4. And listen to this. This is not something new. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression, which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I, the wise man, congratulated the dead, who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Right. So we know that the sin is the problem. But we often think of sin as actions, bad and wicked behavior, or even wicked heart. But let me add one more thing to the effect that sin had on mankind. The behavior, actions, they flow out of one's thinking, correct? So it's not simply the actions are the wicked actions. 
But probably what they are thinking is also wicked. So sin, first and foremost, affects one's thinking. We do not normally talk about sin in that way. Sin sin is really something you do. You lie, you cheat, you rob, you kill, you murder, whatever. Or even we say your heart is wicked. That's correct. But the major effect that sin has upon man is that sin twists, twists man's thinking by that man as mankind. I've written this down and and let me read this section. Sin cuts man off from God. That is not simply in religious or moral sense, though it is true. Sin cuts man off from God. But also, in how one sees the world, that is the framework. Whatever one thinks, he thinks within that framework or worldview. Right? When you think about something, that thinking is happening within the framework of your worldview. How you see and understand the world. Non-believers are caught off from God. That means... Not simply, once again, not simply religiously or morally cut off from God, though that is the main thing. Non-believers are cut off from God in this sense as well, from the reality that God has made. We talked about creation in our confession. Creation is not simply the visible things. God created also the invisible things. But all things, that will include the facts. God created the facts and God interpreted those facts and that's how we understand what is right and what is wrong. So when a person is caught off from God because they are non-believers, they are caught off from the reality that God has created. Then for them, the world that they see, perceive and understand is the only reference point within which they think and they live. Yes, they can learn, they could invent, they could create, they could flourish within their framework. Even sinners can do that. But because they lack that reference point to God, who is the Creator, there really is no true sense of reality and meaning for them. All that they see in this world, this visible world, is all that they see. Then it makes sense for them to live their lives only for this world. If they are in a position of power, then they will do anything to maintain that status. Whether that person is happy or unhappy or having, have a, they have meaningful existence or not, doesn't matter. It's subjective. But from my point of view, what they are lacking is that outside reference point that we know as God. So they live in that world of their own. 
And depending on their tradition, their thinking, their education, and their society, whatever the worldview is set upon them or they receive, that's the framework they are going to exercise their mental thinking. And all actions are the result of that thinking. So, that's the effect that sin has. If God is God of truth, and if this, what Bible says, is the truth, everything, everything else is a lie. It is especially true if you grow up in a communist country. I'm young, way too young to talk about the war that had happened in my home country. Even my parents were young. But my grandparents, who were born in the 1920s and 30s, they went through it all. My grandfather was an uh, army doctor. And when I was young, he taught me many things, but I remember often he would talk about communists, because still, Cold War times and things like that. He and many other forefathers told us one thing about the communists, that the communists are liars. It's not that they are brutal. It's not that they are merciless, but that they are liars. Everything that they say are lies. Not only that, they construct their world within the framework of lies. So if you are born and raised up in that worldview, when everybody is just perpetuating the lies that are constructed by man to, to maintain that they are whatever the status that they want to maintain, probably it will be very difficult for them to see and hear the truth. What we see on the news, it doesn't make sense to us. But I could take a guess, it makes perfect sense to them who believe and live in that lie. So I want you to know the effect of sin is not simply that they lie or they behave in certain ways, but because they are cut off from God and His truth, in a sense, whoever they are, however beautiful they are, however rich they are, that you see famous people you follow, you watch in the news, they are really living a lie. You, you need to know that. So Bible really says the problem, the root cause of all troubles and miseries in this world is sin. And people do not take that seriously. But we know that is the problem. Sin twists everything for their own cause. Listen to Romans 3, where Apostle Paul puts many verses together from the Old Testament to talk about how nobody is good. But when you look at it carefully, you could see his reasoning. And let me read that section. Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous not even one. You know that, right? That's a very famous passage. 
There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. It is not simply one person, simply one person. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Why? When you read that section, it is nobody understands. What does that mean? Nobody understands the truth. There is no one. Why? Because they, they are not seeking God. Because there is no one who seeks for God. What that means is, there is no one righteous because they don't know God and His truth. And what happens? They together become useless. Verse 13. So what do they do? You have to keep on reading that passage. Okay, nobody's seeking God. Nobody understands. So everybody has become useless. But what do they do? Listen to verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. Did you hear that? It is not so much an intentional lying, but because they are cut off from God, they cannot understand. Yes, they could solve problems, they could send rockets to heaven, and uh, uh, they do all kinds of things. But sin cuts men off from God. And because of that, they become useless, they don't understand, and they keep lying. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. When you look at that section carefully, Apostle Paul is talking about the effect of sin. And that's what you see. That's what we see. People may laugh at the idea of sin. But that's the truth. So what about us Christians? We know the truth by the grace of God. But when you possess the true knowledge of God through the Bible, the true knowledge of the reality as it is revealed to us, when you know that, What else comes to your view? What else? Inevitably, when you come to that truth, it reveals who you are. It's not simply how God is great, how God created all things, and God did this, God did that. When you come to know that God truly, savingly, It always comes to the forefront that you are a sinner. There's that self-confession. So knowledge of God, knowledge of self, they come together. You see, apart from the view of God and true knowledge of God, why war in 2022? What are we going to say? There will be war until the end of times. It's not going to change. That's how it is. Uh, That's how human nature is. They become futile in their thinking. 
They only serve themselves. They lie. They construct their own lies through whatever the means that they have to have their follow, followers to be subjugated under their lies. That's, that's the world history over and over again. And here we are as a church of Jesus Christ saying the same thing, but the truth. That is the cause and that is the problem of all the miseries that you see in the world. It is not simply it is a communist problem, it is a Russian problem, or this problem, racial problem. It is not that. You have to see that it is not anything but sinfulness of human beings. And apart from Christ saving you, converting you, becoming a new man, we will keep on saying that there's no way that the world would be a better place. With that, what are we supposed to do? I mean, we know the truth, but our lives are really, in some sense, at the mercy of men like Putin, or she, Kim, whatever. We suffer because of them. And as Christians who know the truth, what are we supposed to do? You know, when pandemic came, coronavirus came, not even the older ministers knew what to do. Nobody knew. Because they have never faced a time like that in their own lifetime. And the war comes. This is something like, I mean, we have never really faced anything. We have heard the news. Kuwait, 1990. Uh, Iraq and all the aftermath. Some of you probably knew Vietnamese war or Korean war, whatever the war that there was. But for us, this generation, what we seeing is really terrifying and all the miseries. So with that, I want to turn to Psalm 25. What do we have? We have many things by the grace of God, but the people of God in Christ, we have three things, faith, truth, and hope. And as you read, you will see that all mingling faith, truth, and hope, playing here and there, and, and, and I'm just going to comment on first few verses. When the war news approach uh, came, I've seen in the news, I thought about Psalm 25. So please turn there, and I am going to comment on first few verses. As all the order of worship revealed to you, the main thing, well, at this time, probably the only thing an average person could do, average Christian could do, is to pray. But let us take this as our guide. This is whose psalm? Psalm of David. He was a mighty warrior. And he says this in verse 1. To you, to you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. We'll stop right there. What do we do in these times? To you. That's right. That's emphatic. It is in the front. To you. That's where we look at. That's, that's the God that we 
Look at at this time, during this time, to you. David Dixon comments on this 16th century Scottish pastor says this. Those who seek God's help in their prayers must lift up their hearts, minds, and eyes from all earthly helpers to God alone. To you, you alone. That's right. That's what we do. To you, God alone is a hope and help and shield that God Almighty. So we should lift up our heads to Him who sits in the heavens. And what's the next word? To you, O Yahweh. Right, I was reading in NAS, and it was to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. But when I was reading in this translation, immediately the covenant name of God was spelled out in front of me. And really, it feels different. It should feel radically different than simply reading, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. No. To whom are we lifting up our soul? To you, O Yahweh. This covenant name of God that God has revealed in Exodus 3 in the bush, I am that I am, that is Yahweh. That is His personal name. It is His covenantal name. So, so Psalmist David is saying to you, O Yahweh. He's not simply saying to you, my, my some kind of generic God. But to Yahweh. What is He communicating to us? To whom are we lifting up our hearts and minds? To this covenant God. So when you hear about the covenant, really, covenant really is about one thing. What is it about? It is really about God keeping His promises. It really is that. So when you look at this verse, to you, O Yahweh, we are looking up into the throne of God by faith and we are beholding God as Yahweh, the covenant God, who what? Who keeps His promises. Who is faithful. Who remains faithful. Who keeps His promises forever into eternity. That's kind of God that David is looking at. He lifts up his mind, heart's minds, and he's looking at God and he calls him Yahweh. You could substitute that name, obviously, to Jesus and everything else, but what is communicated here is that our God is God who keeps his promises. And David, same David Dixon says this, faith in God, but not any God, faith in God fixed on the covenant gives wings to the soul. It's different. When you say, to you, O God. But when you see, to you, O Yahweh, we, we, we are raised to the third heavens and we see this God who keeps His promises and He will remain faithful to that. Look at verse 2. That great covenant name, Yahweh, what good is it that He keeps His promises unless you could confess verse 2. What does it say? Oh, my God. Right. So it's not simply, oh, I heard about you from the Moses, book of Moses. But David says, that great covenant God is whose God? Not my parents' God, not my wife's God, not my sister's God, but he's my God. 
Oh my God, in you I trust. Elohi is my that word. Right? That great covenant name becomes your God. And you confess that. And and I've listened to Lloyd's sermon from last week, and he basically made that point. We cannot pray this prayer unless you have a personal relationship with this God. He's my God. He will stay faithful to his promise. And we call him, I call him, oh my God, in you I trust. Once again, who else can we trust but our God? And he says this, do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies triumph over me, exalt over me. So that we pray. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my, our enemies exalt over me. Verse 3. Indeed, let none who hope in you be ashamed. And let those who deal treacherously, without cause, be ashamed. Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let those who hope in you be ashamed. This, the word ashamed, as you know, in the Bible is really not, oh, I feel ashamed. But it is a public demonstration that whether God didn't keep his promise, then I'll be ashamed. That sense. If God keeps his promises and if God saves me, then I will not be ashamed. But in verse 3, we also find, let those who deal treacherously, without cause, doesn't matter if it makes sense to them or not, whether that is their own cause to invade another sovereign country or not, but in all levels of evil and wickedness, there are always people who are cut off from God, the truth and the reality, who live in their own minds, who live in their own construct of their own lives, who will deal treacherously with people in a wicked fashion. So what do we do? We pray. Let them be ashamed. As we have seen from Psalm 33, we have read earlier. God, thwart the plans of the wicked, we pray. Now, verse 4 and 5, we, we understand that. Verse 1 to 3, and be ashamed, do not let me be ashamed. We understand that. But 4 and 5, I really couldn't understand. So this week I s- sat down. And why would David, who knew what the battle was, he fought so many times. He, he killed so many men, God forbade him from building his temple by him, his own hands. He knew the battles. But he talks about verse 1, 2, 3. We understand. We could pray this prayer. But suddenly, verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. In you I hope all the day. What, what, why is there a gear switch from verse 3 and 4? Suddenly he says, make me know your ways, teach me your path, lead me in your truth. Why he's concerned about the truth, his ways? Why, why does he talk about that? Suddenly he wants to do the Bible study. Suddenly he wants to know more about the law of God so he could keep those 
My conclusion is this. We do not know the exact circumstance in which this psalm is written. But the enemy is at the gate. And he is lifting up his entire soul unto him, the covenant God. As soon as you look at God once again, you look at yourself. And this confidence in God in verse 1 and 3 will always have effect on you for you to look at your own selves. There's an introspection. You examine your own sinful lives. Right? When God, true God, comes into your view, it always tells you that you are sinful. Again, psychologically too. How can David, facing the enemy, pray this prayer? Oh God, do not let me be ashamed. He's he's really a saint. So he is looking at himself. And his, his confidence in God will correspond in some ways in the ways in which you have lived your lives in front of this holy God. And another commentator says this. The hearts of believers are never confident without also being submissive to their God. Right. When the times of adversity comes, then you think about the way of your life. And then you pray for guidance and mercy. If you look at Verse 6, that's why. His hope is not, I have lived pretty good life, God, so you need to save me. But his appeal is to the mercy of God. So what does he say? Verse 6, Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion, your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. I could rely on your mercy. That's what he's saying. So really, He's examining his own life, but at the same time, his confidence is not in his, let's say, just holiness, the level of holiness, though that is good and necessary to have certain level of confidence in God. His confidence really is in God's mercy. That's why he could confidently, and we could confidently pray this prayer to our God. So verse 5, For you are the God of my salvation. In you I wait all the day. LSB says hope, but it is really wait all the day. Now, with that, I'm going to read the rest of the section. And as we read, think about all that we have talked about. And you could pray this prayer on your own. Read this on your own, but pray. Faith, truth, and hope that you will find. I'm going to read from verse 1. To you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, let none who hope in you be ashamed. Let those who deal treacherously, without cause, be ashamed. May me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. In you I hope all the day. 
Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Yahweh. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. May he lead the humble in justice, and may he teach the humble his way. All the path of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. For you, for your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in goodness. His seed will inherit the land. The secret of Yahweh is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward Yahweh, for he will bring my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. See my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. See my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness guard me, for I hope in you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let us pray.